0: chapter 14 let me ask you a question as you're turning there how do we do it how do we do this christian life in this world without moving up into the hills or off to an island somewhere and just unplugging and hiding out till jesus comes how do we do it you know, Jesus, when he said, do not let your heart be troubled, we've talked about that over a couple of weeks now, and he immediately explained how not to let your heart be troubled. He didn't just command it and then leave you hanging. He, he told us, don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. He appealed to our faith. He appealed to our trusting in him. He went on to talk about our heavenly home. He went on to share other things on that dark night with the apostles who were sorrowful, who were troubled. Jesus told them how not to be troubled and gave them practical ways to do it. But it still leaves you sitting there, could leave you sitting there thinking, yeah, but how? Listen, I'm not a motivational speaker. Do you understand that? I don't live in a van down by the river. (laughs) I'm not a motivational speaker. That's not what I do. I don't sit here and come up with clever ways to make people feel just a little bit better so that they can go out into the world and and crash and burn. We gather together and we open the word of God and we hear from God himself and we, we trust in these words that he speaks. But it's more than that and if it wasn't more than that, I would not have lasted, I couldn't do this. You often hear me pray before we start into study, Holy Spirit be our teacher. We need more than a teacher. We need a helper. We need an ability beyond our human ability to make it in this world. To follow him, not just to follow him, but to follow him as he's called us to follow him. We need the Holy Spirit. And in John chapter 14, down in verse 16, Jesus said, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. And Holy Spirit, I'm asking you to help us understand the words of Jesus now. Jesus opened this up, began to express what you would do. Now we're asking you to help us hear those words and realize what he's saying in Jesus' name amen. We're going to spend the next five Sundays, including today, talking about the Holy Spirit, looking at the Holy Spirit, considering the Holy Spirit, thinking about the Holy Spirit, but not by motivational words, not by me just gleaning from all over the Bible. We're specifically going to hear from Jesus. We're going to hear what Jesus had to say, what Jesus taught on this night, on that Thursday night at the last Passover. We're going to hear his words, As he describes and expresses the Holy Spirit. Who the Spirit is, what the Spirit does, why the Spirit is so vital to our Christian lives, to our following after Jesus. Now, I gotta tell you this the attention span of a goldfish at maximum focus has been measured at nine seconds. You can keep a goldfish's attention for nine seconds. Usually it has to do with dropping a little food in the bowl, but you you can do that. A Canadian study that was done just a few years ago now found that the attention span of the average person in the TikTok generation is less than seven seconds. So we're going to need the Holy Spirit to help us stay with this. And we especially need the Spirit of God in these days if we're going to make it till Jesus comes, if we're going to really persevere. So let's start at the very beginning. It's a very good place to start. Genesis chapter one, verse one, tells us in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters We're two verses in. And here he is, the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God. So this is not a new concept, as Jesus is going to begin to illuminate our understanding and explain what the ministry of the Holy Spirit really is. The Holy Spirit has been around forever, eternally. More on that in a minute, but understand that right there at the beginning, the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. That word moving in the Hebrew, uh, I'm not even gonna try and pronounce it because it's a weird one, but it literally means to sweep over or to hover, but it implies superintendent consideration. So hovering with thoughtfulness. The Spirit of God hovered over the waters, moved over the waters. The Tanakh, the the Jewish translation says, swept across the waters, but did so with intentionality and with thoughtfulness and consideration as though God in this moment by his spirit is giving careful thought to his next move. Careful consideration of what he is about to do. Job 33 verse 4, the young man Elihu says, The spirit of God has made me, and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. Psalm 104, verse 30 says, you send forth your spirit and they are created. The Holy Spirit is involved in the very act of creation from the beginning and on till today. Now, I ran the entire Hebrew scriptures. In fact, I had it originally in my notes, but you would have had about 72 verses up there more than that. I I ran the Hebrew scriptures this last week and just did a personal study because I wanted to get a sense of this, of the Holy Spirit throughout the Hebrew Bible. Before you get to the New Testament, every mention of the Holy Spirit in the Hebrew scriptures. And I found it fascinating. In fact, I highly recommend that you do that. Start looking up the Spirit of God in every book in the Old Testament and read it through and see what you'll learn about the Spirit he is referred to in the Hebrew Bible as the Spirit of God, the Spirit of the Lord, His Holy Spirit. God says, My Spirit, and the Spirit of grace. Those are the, the, the names, if you could say names, they're not really names, though, they're more descriptions of the Spirit. He is mentioned in the Hebrew Bible 54 times before we ever open the pages of the New Testament. The Spirit, in the Hebrew Scriptures, we see the Spirit created, spoke to, taught, instructed, led, was patient with, was grieved by, gave rest to, and empowered God's people. All of this was the work of the Spirit. Now, there were things about the Holy Spirit prophesied as to what He would do, but these are the things that we know He did do. And in fact, the very last mention of the Holy Spirit in the Hebrew Bible shows the Spirit actually works in people bringing moral conviction. Moral conviction, speaking of adultery in the, in the Hebrew scriptures. Again, the last mention of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament says, uh, Micah chapter two, verse 15. But not, actually, I think it's Malachi. I, you might wanna check that. That might not be Micah, it might be Malachi. Chapter two, verse 15. But the verse says, not one has done so who has a remnant of the Spirit. What does that mean? Speaking of adultery, no one has committed adultery who has a remnant of the Spirit. Now, now, before that shakes anybody, listen, according to God, what that means is the only way to commit adultery is to completely ignore or deny the Holy Spirit. It means in the, in the moment that it's happening, when it's taking place, the person doing it, even if it's a believer, a follower of Jesus, has to deny the Spirit to actually act on that. So the Spirit even brings to us a moral conviction to keep us on right paths, to help us to walk straight. But what's interesting, if you study this through again, the Holy Spirit in the Hebrew Scriptures, you realize that the Spirit primarily came upon individuals. So the, the Hebrew Bible says he came upon prophets, he came upon priests, he came upon kings, he empowered, he gave special uh, ability, power coming upon those who who had special tasks or specific callings, he very rarely came within a person. Very rarely did he enter a person. In fact, in the whole Hebrew Bible, there's only two cases of that ever happening. The first one is in Exodus chapter 31, where it says that the spirit was given to Bezalel. Bezalel was the guy who designed the tabernacle. So the Spirit actually indwelled Bezalel as he designed and crafted and and, and wrote up all the plans for the tabernacle of God, which you Bible students know is a representation of the throne room in heaven. So of course, the Spirit would indwell him. The only other person in the Hebrew Scriptures that we see indwelled by the Holy Spirit is Ezekiel. Now you might say, what about David? He came upon David. What about Saul? He came upon Saul, then he left Saul. Then, by the way, he came back upon Saul one more time. And each and every case, the Holy Spirit comes upon and empowers, but only in these two, Bezalel and Ezekiel, does he actually enter, at least by the language of Scripture. Ezekiel 3.24 says, the Spirit entered me, Ezekiel writing. That's interesting to me because it is through the prophet Ezekiel that the Lord God promised something new. Something different. Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. That's lowercase s. I'm gonna change your spirit. I'm gonna make your spirit new within you. He says, I'm gonna remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. That is a, a throbbing, beating, healthy heart. And then he says, I will put my spirit within you. And here's what's really different though he had done it at least twice before, when Ezekiel prophesies, when God says, I will put my spirit within you, you, for the first time, is plural. I will put my spirit within you. Not just on David, not just on, on Saul when he was the first king of Israel, and not just on a prophet or on a priest or on a king, I will put my spirit within you. All of you, that's the promise. And so we come to the New Testament. And in the New Testament, the Holy Spirit... By the way, this is all just by way of introduction. We haven't even gotten to Jesus yet. We'll get there. But in the New Testament, the Holy Spirit is talked about now, not 54 times, but 261 times. 56 times in the four Gospels alone. So we hear more about the Holy Spirit in the four Gospels than we heard in the entire Hebrew Scriptures, which is very interesting to me. 15 times in the Gospel of John alone... We hear about the Spirit, and Jesus talks about him at length in John 14, 15, and 16. We've already learned that Jesus is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit, John chapter 1, verse 33. John the Baptist said that. The idea of the baptism of the Holy Spirit is not a Pentecostal idea. It's a John the Baptist idea, and Jesus said the same thing, that he baptizes with the Holy Spirit. There is a promise of being immersed, submerged in by God. The Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit coming upon you like an immersion, like a baptism. John chapter three, verse five, Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. And so we talk about being born again. John chapter three, verse 34. John the Baptist comes along again and says, for he whom God has sent speaks the words of God. For he, that is Jesus, gives the spirit without measure. You can't get the Holy Spirit unless Jesus gives him to you. And Jesus said in John 6, 63, it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and are life. The spirit does this. You do not have life if you do not have the Spirit because the Spirit gives life and Jesus gives the Spirit. Are you with me on this? Goldfish? Okay. (laughs) The last time the Holy Spirit is mentioned in the Gospel of John, listen to this. John chapter 20, verse 22, Jesus breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. And we're gonna talk about that when we get there. But in the New Testament, if you continue to track the Holy Spirit all the way through, you know that he is called the Spirit of God. He is the Spirit of the living God, the Spirit who is from God, the Spirit of the Lord, the Spirit of your Father. He's called the Spirit of his Son, the Spirit of Jesus, the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus, and the Spirit of him who raised Christ from the dead. He's called the Spirit of truth the spirit of grace, the spirit of glory, the spirit of wisdom and revelation. He's called the spirit of promise, the spirit of holiness, the eternal spirit. And he's even referred to as the seven spirits of God in the book of Revelation. No name, no name, only descriptions. But the closest we get to a name of any kind comes from Jesus Verse 16 again, I will ask the Father. He will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. So here in John 14, again, we're in the upper room. That's the location. The night is Passover. The mood is troubled. And the word Jesus uses four times in this night for the Holy Spirit is parakleton. Now, if you've heard parakletos, paraklete, that's that's an anglicized uh, uh, pronunciation. It's paracleton. We would say Parakleton. That's what it looks. No, Parakleton. Say it with me, Parakleton. That's the word that Jesus uses specifically for of the Holy Spirit. Parakleton. There's a fifth time that it is used. So only five times in the New Testament, four right here used by Jesus over and over, the Paracleton, and then one more time, interestingly, the same word is used by John when he writes 1 John chapter 2, verse one. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin, and if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Paracleton means helper, Many of your Bibles in John 14 translate, verse 16, helper. Some of your Bibles translate comforter. It's also a good translation. Parakleton is helper, it's comforter. And the fifth time it's used, John says, advocate. Advocate. These are all legitimate translations of the word parakleton. And the same word, curiously, is used of the Holy Spirit four times by Jesus. And it's used of Jesus one time by John. The Holy Spirit is the paracleton. Jesus is also your paracleton right now in heaven, your advocate, your defense attorney. He is the one who stands before the Father on your behalf. And the Bible says, interceding constantly. That's, that's Jesus' ministry right now. Realize his three and a half year ministry on earth did not end. It continued as now he is our great intercessor. And he prays for you and he prays for me. But, but we're talking about the Spirit Why is the same word used for Holy Spirit used for Jesus? And the answer to that is because they are of the same kind. Look at verse 16 again. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another parakleton. Another, that word is highly significant. Understand this in the Greek. The word another can be two different words. One is alon or alos. Here alone, the way it's translated, it means of the same kind. I will give you another helper, but this helper will be of the same kind as me, Jesus says. The other word for another is heteros, which means another of a different kind. Like we would say heterosexual because I am of a different kind than my wife. Truly, I understand and I know that because I don't think like she does. Or she doesn't think like I do. We we get eye to eye on things, we come in agreement on things, but we think differently. I'm of another kind, I'm of the male kind, and she is of the female kind. By the way, the only two kinds. There's alone, another of the same kind, there's hetero, another of a different kind. The Holy Spirit is of the same kind as Jesus and the Father, and there is no other. Holy Spirit Jesus and the Father are of the same kind, and it is a unique kind unlike any other in all eternity. What I'm trying to get across here really is that the Holy Spirit is not an it. He is not an it. Don't use the word it when you're around me. Don't use the word it for the Holy Spirit. He. Because he is of the same kind as Jesus. He is of the same kind as the Father. He suffers no identity crisis and requires no other personal gender pronouns. (laughs) He is the Holy Spirit of the living God. And the Bible describes him as being, again, of the same kind as God the Father and God the Son. So why do we depersonalize him or devalue him or take him down a couple notches, like there's father, and then there's son in second place, and then the third man on the totem pole is the Holy Spirit. That's, that's pagan. It's unbiblical. He is, the Holy Spirit is an equal person in the triune Godhead. One God, three persons. Monotheism, one God. Three persons of the one true God. That is the Trinity. That's what the Bible teaches. And by the way, every cult attacks the biblical doctrine of the Trinity. That's one of the ways you know something's a cult is when they start to go head to head with the idea of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit as equal aspects, equal parts of the Godhead. Now, I know someone on Wednesday night of this week is going to go, but Rick, Rick, Jesus says that the Father is greater. He he says that later on in this chapter. We'll talk about that on Wednesday night. But they are of equal power, of of equal uh, place in the Godhead. (coughs) I want to give you some promises about the Spirit. Equal Father, Son, and Spirit, and yet distinct Father, Son, and Spirit. One God, three persons. Okay, so that's the Trinity. So now that we fully and completely understand the Trinity, let me give you five promises just in this section, just in chapter 14 that Jesus gives. We're gonna do several promises over the next several weeks of the Holy Spirit, the work of the Spirit and who the Spirit is. Promise number one, get this, promise number one, and it comes back to my first question, how do we do this? How do we do this? It's much more than me just sending you out here with some pithy sayings and some nice phrases that make you feel empowered until you hit the real world. How do we do this promise? Number one, the Spirit is my God-strong helper. The Spirit is my God-strong helper. I know he's translated comforter. I like helper better, personally. Paracleton, actually it depends on the day. There are some days where I prefer to call him my comforter. But listen, I need to know there's strength and comfort. I need to know that these are not just empty words. I need to know that he doesn't just come along and and soothe me, and yet I still have to figure out how to get by in this world. There is strength in the comfort. There is power in the help. Paracleton has one more uh, translation, one more definition, if you will. Jot this down. It means strengthener. He is the helper. He's the comforter. He's the advocate. He is the strengthener. There is something the Holy Spirit does in you and in me to strengthen us for this journey. When traumas hit, when torments come, when troubles are crashing in, I need something more than a warm fuzzy. I need something that's that's better than a plushy doll. Oh, it makes me feel so good. Not for long. Not for long, because I still gotta get up and out of bed and face the reality of my life. I need something that's not just downy soft. I need strength. I need strength in the comfort. I need to know that he will stand when I can't, that he will fight when my strength is gone, that he'll carry me when I can't carry on. Or as Ezekiel himself described, Ezekiel, remember the one one of two actually filled with the Holy Spirit, the Spirit entered him. Ezekiel in chapter eight, verse three, and chapter 11, verse 24 of his prophetic book talked about being lifted up and given visions. That's what I need. I need to be lifted up and given vision to see through and beyond my darkness, my troubles, my challenges, whatever they may be. I need the Paracleton. I need the strength of the comforter, the power of the helper, which is why in the Hebrew scriptures, Zechariah was told not by might nor by power, but by my spirit says the Lord of hosts. Zechariah 4, 6, good verse to have known. Not by might, not by power. I don't generate this, he does. It's his spirit, it's his power. First Corinthians chapter two, verse three, Paul said, I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling and my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom. Paul was not a motivational speaker. But you know what he says? But in demonstration of the spirit and of power so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men but on the power of God. That's what I'm talking about. We're not just getting a bunch of nice words and heading off. We rely and rest in the power of the living God who by his spirit indwells us. I'm getting ahead of myself. But the spirit... The Holy Spirit is my God-strong helper. He strengthens when I'm blindsided. He he strengthens in the battle. When I think I can't get through this, he gets me through it. That's part of his ministry, part of his role, the God-strong helper. Okay, but for how long does he do this? Verse 16, continuing, that he may be with you forever. How's that? Second promise. The Holy Spirit is gifted forever, forever. And when God uses words like forever, he's not mincing words, he's not playing around, and he's not just kind of being euphemistic. The Spirit is with you forever, gifted forever. You realize Jesus couldn't be that for the disciples? Jesus Christ could not be that. If Jesus was in Nazareth and Peter was fishing the Galilee, guess what? Jesus wasn't with him. You know, we we say things like this all the time. We say, hey, I'm with you in prayer. Okay, that means I'm praying for you, but I'm not with you. Hey, I'm with you in this. Actually, you're in Nashville, and I'm here, and we're on the phone. You're not with me right now. Emotionally, you're saying you're on my side, but you're not actually with me, and I need you with me. Jesus couldn't do that. When Nathanael was in Cana and Jesus was in Capernaum, Jesus was not with Nathanael. When Jesus was in Hades and the disciples were in despair, get this, for those three days, Jesus was not with the apostles. The 11 were on their own. The Holy Spirit, and Jesus talks about this, the Holy Spirit is unconstrained by the body. Jesus, when he put on flesh, constrained himself. God constrained himself, if you you will, limited himself by being in a physical body. He could only be where he was. One of the things that he set aside in that was his omnipresence. That Jesus was not in the flesh on the earth. Jesus was not omnipresent. He couldn't be in two places at once. He could only be in one. And he says, this is why it's better for you that I go away. Because if I go away, I can be with all of you. My spirit can be in every one of you. And so Psalm 139 verse seven recognizes this. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? Guess what? The Holy Spirit is omnipresent. The Holy Spirit is omnipresent God with you forever, which means if I'm here at the church and Cheryl's at home, he's with both of us in the immediate sense. He's with us. This was something totally different. In this way, God secures our helper to be with us forever. John four, verse 14, remember Jesus said, whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst, but the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life, a well that constantly flows. I've told you this, I love going to Jerusalem and looking at the Gihon spring because it's still flowing. This is the one talked about 4,000 years ago in the Bible. And you can look at it, and it's still gushing out of the rocks and flowing through Hezekiah's tunnel, and you can walk through it and get cold and wet if you want to. <laughs> but what a marvelous thing. I always think about that. When, when I look at the Gihon Spring, I always think of John 4:14. 4, I think of John chapter 7, verses 37 and 38, where the Holy Spirit is described as a gushing river, as an ever-flowing stream, a water springing up to eternal life, it's just a picture of that for me, and yet, you know what? The Gahon is gonna dry up someday. The is not is not eternal, but the Holy Spirit is eternal. The promise to you and to me is a forever promise, and this begins when the Holy Spirit enters in, because you have been born again. Now, I gotta pause for a second. I heard something this last week that kind of shook me a little bit. Talking to a brother, he said, you know, I've talked to three people in our fellowship who say they've never had a born-again experience. I'm like, what? And I said, you mean three people who, who have yet to, to um, give their lives to Jesus? No, no, three Christians who have never had a born-again experience. Let me ask you this morning, and I'm not asking you to raise your hand, I'm not asking to call you out or anything, but I'm asking you to answer the question in your heart, in your mind before the Lord, can you point to a moment in time when you received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Can you say, that's when? That's when I was born again. Now I'm asking you this not to put you on the spot, but to make you think about something. Because in that moment when I received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, forever began for me. The Holy Spirit promised to me. I received a gift. And to seal that, to make it clear to me so that I would fully understand, Peter actually says in Acts chapter 2 verse 38, repent and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Do you realize that a big part of baptism is so that we have an anchor point in our faith? So they have a point that I can look back to and go, I know Whatever else was happening in my 10-year-old brain, I know on that day at that time, I went into the pool and my dad laid me back in the water and brought me out and I received the gift of the Holy Spirit. I know, because the Bible says so, that on that day, I know my eternality began. Now, for some of you, so you're saying, so you're saying, wait, Rick, so you're saying if I'm not baptized, that I'm not saved. I didn't say that. So you're saying that that I'm not really a Christian if I didn't have some momentary experience? I I didn't say that. What I'm saying is your your faith is vague looking back if you can't pinpoint that time when you know that Jesus Christ became your Lord and Savior. You can't look back and go, and on that day out of obedience, I got baptized, which now I know because there's a physical thing back in my memory that I did that was in response to what he did. So I know that I was born again. Can you say I was born again? See, the world, there are Christians who say, well, I'm a Christian, but I don't like those born again crazies. You can't be a Christian if you're not born again. That's the very definition of being a Christian is you started out by being born again, born anew, a new creation, the Bible's very clear on this. Why are you getting all hyper about this, Rick? Because I don't want anyone to just go cruising and think, well, at some point, maybe, I don't know. I mean, I believe in Jesus. Good. Have you been born again? And I'm pushing the point because if you, can't precisely, if you can't precisely point to a moment in time when you gave your life to Jesus, when he came in, when he became the Lord, let's do it right now. Let's not play games of, oh, well, that offends me because I've been a Christian a long time. Great. You followed Jesus a long time. I have no problem with that. It's not mine to judge anyway. But if you don't know of a, particular moment when you were born again, do it now, so that you can look back and go, I know on that day, I know on that day, I gave him my heart. And if you've never been baptized, a lot of Christians out there never been baptized. I don't understand that. Well, baptism doesn't save you. That's not the issue. The issue is just one of obedience and the promise. I'm not sure... I'm not sure if I have the Holy Spirit. Get baptized. Because the promise in Scripture is repent, be baptized, every one of you, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You may have received the Holy Spirit outside of baptism. Cornelius did. You want to read through Acts, and we can get into that conversation. There are those who received the Holy Spirit prior to being baptized. God can do that if he wants to. But if you're not sure, if you're walking without the Helper, Or if you don't know, I'm not not clear on that. Hey, if you haven't been baptized, you need to get in the water. And I mean right now, come on. (laughs) Today's the day. If you have never concretely been born again, do it now. In fact, let's pray right now, bow with me. And I am calling out to anyone here who has never been born again. You don't know, you're not clear on that. Let's be clear right now. Would you pray in your heart to the Father right now? Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner and I need you. And so I repent of everything in my life. This morning, I give my heart to you. I ask you to come and be my Lord and my Savior from this day forward. And Lord, even though I may have believed in you for a long time, today I'm asking you to be my Lord. Today, I'm praying, forgive me of my sin and save me. I want to be born again. May I be born of the Spirit right now. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, today is an anchor point day. And by the way, you need to get baptized. I'm not going to force anybody because I don't know who prayed that prayer but you need to get baptized and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This is not optional, none of this. If you're gonna follow Jesus, if you're gonna be one of his, this is an anchor point of your faith, and this is a witness that you have received him, baptism is. So again, not optional. The Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit. Continue on, verse 17, Jesus says, the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him Or know him, but you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. Promise number three, the Holy Spirit is genuine truth. The Holy Spirit is genuine truth. My God-strong helper, gifted forever, he is genuine truth. Now, we're going to speak more about this in future studies, because Jesus has more to say about the Spirit of truth. In fact, Jesus will call the Holy Spirit the Spirit of truth three times in three chapters. In chapter 14, 15, and 16. But I want to say this much about the spirit of truth today. Think about Isaiah's description of the spirit of the Lord who would come upon and be in Messiah. Listen to this. Isaiah chapter 11, verse 12, the spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and strength, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Listen one more time. He is the spirit of wisdom and understanding, counsel and strength, knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Let me just ask you, does anyone prefer the opposite to these things? Would anyone rather live in foolishness and ignorance, cluelessness and frailty, stupidity and arrogance? That's the alternative. I can have the spirit of the Lord, the spirit of truth, the genuine truth, And I can have wisdom and understanding, counsel and strength, knowledge and the fear of the Lord, or foolishness and ignorance, cluelessness and and frailty, stupidity and arrogance, because that's the human condition. That's my natural man, right? My natural man is foolish, and you know by the puns. My natural man is ignorant. I don't know what I'm doing. My natural man is clueless and frail and stupid and arrogant, That's my natural self. Nice to meet you. The spirit of God, the spirit of truth. Listen, I don't have to function foolishly. I don't have to function arrogantly. James 1.15 says, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. Jesus said in Luke 11, 13, if you then being evil, and that is what we are without him, if you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? The spirit of truth, more on that in a future study. But all of a sudden we come to a spiritual divide, a very serious, somber spiritual divide. Verse 17 again says, The world cannot receive him because it does not see him or know him. You know him because he abides with you and will be in you. There's the divide. The world doesn't have the spirit of God. The world cannot see him or cannot know the spirit of God. Why does Jesus give the Holy Spirit this specific three times designation, the spirit of truth, the spirit of truth, the spirit of truth? Why does Jesus call him that right here? Listen, because as genuinely, he, he, first of all, is as genuinely true as Jesus is himself, but he can only be genuinely known. What do you mean? Personally. This is a genuine relationship. This is a true relationship. He is the spirit of truth who is only truly known personally. But Alexander McLaren here, in his commentary, he he detects in Jesus a note of deep sadness in his words when he says whom the world cannot receive. The world cannot see. The world does not know. You hear sorrow in Jesus for a world that doesn't know the spirit of God. And not for lack of an offer, by the way. The offer is to anyone who would receive Jesus as Lord and Savior, anyone who's born again, anyone who goes into the water, anyone who says, yes, Lord, the promise is the Holy Spirit to you and in you and through you and upon you and alongside you. But the world doesn't get him. The world doesn't receive him, not because he wasn't offered, but because of a lack of reception. And this is really kind of shocking. Think about it with me. Just think logically. Why would anyone deny what we've been talking about? Why would I deny wisdom and understanding, counsel and strength, knowledge and the fear of the Lord? Why would I deny strong comfort? Why would I deny these things that are, are the promise of the Holy Spirit of God? Help and strength and comfort and advocacy. Why would I say no? No thanks. I'm good. Why do people do that? And especially why do Christians? There's a a new book that's come out, and I'm I'm probably going to mention a little bit more about it next week. But the book is by Andy Stanley. Those of you who are aware of Andy Stanley, he is in uh, just outside of um, uh, he's in Georgia. A megachurch pastor in Georgia has written several books. He's got, you know, podcasts and stuff and all that out there. And, and, And Andy Stanley's a pretty straightforward guy, but he's come under some heat lately. He's written a book, and the book is called Not In It to Win It. And then the subtitle is Why Choosing Sides Sidelines the Church. He claims that the evangelical church in America today is facing a state of emergency. This is a mega church pastor, so he's been in it a while. He's seen it for a long time. He is is aware of the church at large. Not one denomination, not one fellowship, but the church at large, the evangelical church as so-called in America. And he says, we are in a state of emergency, folks. Why? He says, due to our reaction and response to the politics and the pandemic, that we are being divided. And he's right, we are. The church is being divided based on these issues, based on reactions and response to the pandemic, and based on political leanings, one way or the other. There is this division happening where Christian is now set against Christian. We haven't seen this before in our culture. Not like this. Not like this. My friends, we need to face and understand and think about this. But I mention this right now, and I'll talk more about that next week. But I mention this right now because I think the problem is much deeper than politics. I think the problem is much deeper than how we reacted to, responded to, or, or, or dealt with the recent pandemic issues. I think the problem is twofold. It is that pastors are not teaching the word of God, and it is that the American church is weak on the spirit of truth. We don't know the Holy Spirit. And I use the word no, genuinely speaking of truth. We don't truly know the Holy Spirit. And my friends, there's a divide on that. That's a divide I've been watching my whole life, and it concerns me because the divide is wrong on both sides. He's either a Marvel superpower, you know, the church's answer to psychics and palm readers, or he's a limited librarian who helps you understand the Bible, and that's it. That whole perspective It's called cessationism. I've talked about it before. And the cessationist believes that the Holy Spirit, all that, that this personal present God can do is help us read the Bible. That's the full extent of his power with us. Listen to me, the Bible's very clear. The gift is the Spirit. The gifts are what he offers. The gift is the Spirit, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, and you will receive the gift, Peter says, of the Holy Spirit. But then the gifts, 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, Romans chapter 12, Ephesians chapter four, and other places as well, the gifts are what the Spirit brings to the table for your life and for my life. And that's not like being Captain America, you know, or or maybe more appropriately, uh, Dr. Strange. (laughs) We don't all suddenly become Dr. Stranges, you know. And these two perspectives are so at odds. The one that says limited librarian and says this is all lies. And the one over here who who is all about the power and the experience and says, you have no idea, you're not even holy like we are. You know what, both are wrong. Both are wrong. He brings, the, the gift brings the gifts to the table For the church to thrive and survive and stay on message. And the reason why the church right now in this generation is off message in America is because we have denied the word of truth and the spirit of truth. If we could get back to the Bible knowing God's word as he speaks it, not as Pastor Rick or anyone else speaks it, but as he speaks it, and if we would rely on and trust in and know the spirit of truth as Jesus reveals him, we would not be having a state of emergency. We would be on track for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why would we, his people, quench or worse, grieve the Holy Spirit? Bible says in Isaiah chapter 30 verse 1, woe to the rebellious children declares the Lord who execute a plan but not mine and make an alliance but not of my spirit in order to add sin to sin. Whatever we're doing, if we're doing it outside of the spirit of God, we're not doing it according to his will. I I love it. Last week, uh, Cam said this. She said, we submit to him, not him to us. Amen. Amen. We don't try to coerce God into joining us in our campaign. We go to where he is and we serve what his desire is. We follow his will. We are his servants. 1 Thessalonians 5.19, Paul said, do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophetic utterances or, or the word is propheteia, prophetic things. Examine everything carefully hold fast to that which is good, abstain from every form of evil. It's very simple. It doesn't mean that you just go, oh. You examine, you think through, you process, you, you test everything by the word of truth so that you know the spirit of truth. But don't quench the spirit of truth along the way. Do not, Ephesians four thirty one grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. And I've told you recently, you know what grieves him? Bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander, which is happening in the church among people who are divided on political issues. Where have we gone? Why would we ever allow that to divide us? Paul says, put that away. Along with all malice, he says, be kind to one another. Be tenderhearted, forgiving each other just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. Jude verse 18 says, in the last time there will be mockers following after their own ungodly lusts. And that's not just sexual lust, by the way. That's just your own ungodly desires. There will be mockers doing this in the last times. These are the ones who cause divisions, worldly-minded, and listen to me, devoid of the Spirit. That's the crisis. A church devoid of the Spirit is not the church of God, is not the church of Jesus Christ. We need the spirit of truth and the word of truth. I love what David says. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. And I'll tell you what, the greatest struggles of our faith always happen when we struggle in our own strength. When we deny the strengthener, the comforter, the helper, the paracleton, When I rely on myself rather than my God-strong helper, my gifted forever spirit of the Lord who is genuine truth. Now skip down to verse 25. How are the goldfish doing? Staying with me? (laughs) Verse 25, these things Jesus said, I have spoken to you while abiding with you. But the Helper, the Paracleton, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. And I love how specific, note that how specific he is. He wants you to make sure and know the Helper is the Holy Spirit, (laughs) given by God. Remember I said that? I'm going to say it again, so you don't miss it. The Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. Did you catch that? In my name, Jesus says. The Spirit comes in my name. What does that mean? It doesn't mean that every time you hear the Holy Spirit, he says, in Jesus' name, amen. In my name. We talked about this recently on a Wednesday night. In my name means in perfect harmony with the nature and person of Jesus. The Father will send the Spirit of truth in my name, which means the Spirit will never teach you anything contrary to the teaching of Jesus. He will never take you in a direction that is different than the direction of Jesus Christ. He will never ask you to do anything that contradicts the character of Christ Jesus. That should give us great peace. It's not like the Holy Spirit is this weird power that's gonna cause us to start doing stuff that Jesus never did, or saying stuff that Jesus never said, or believing things that Jesus never taught. No, he will come in perfect harmony with Jesus Christ. Because he comes in my name, Jesus says. And note this, promise number four, the Spirit generates remembrance. The Spirit generates remembrance. And this is a vital aspect. I I mentioned the limited librarian. He is a librarian. He's just not limited. He does teach us the word and bring the word to remembrance. This is such good news. Uh, Note this, the Spirit generates remembrance. That explains how the Gospels were written. Do you understand now that they didn't sit down and go, okay, what did Jesus say then? Andrew, what did Jesus say on that that night when we were walking the place and the thing was, and he said, and Andrew's like, oh, it was something like, and so they wrote it down hoping they were close. No, no, the spirit generates remembrance. John chapter two, verse 22 says, when he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he said these things and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had spoken. They had this amazing memory. And it wasn't because they practiced it, it's because the Spirit generates remembrance. John 12, verse 16. These things his disciples did not understand at the first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written of him and that they had been done by him. Why did they remember after he was glorified? Because he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. So now they have the Spirit. Now they can remember. And now when they put pen to parchment, the Spirit is inspiring them. Not the way we use the word inspire. We've got the Spirit, yes we do. We've got the Spirit, how about you? Hey, we're so inspired, that's stupid. He inspired them the word meaning God breathed. He told them what to write. He reminded them of the things that Jesus taught so that they could put it down so that then we could study it and know it and the same spirit then could bring it to our minds, which is how it works. He generates remembrance. This is what Peter was talking about when he said in 2 Peter 1:19, we have the prophetic word more sure to which you would do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. But know this first of all, Peter says, No prophecy of scripture is of one's own interpretation. And he's talking about the prophets and he's talking about the gospel writers and the letter writers of the New Testament. These were not a matter of someone interpreting what they had heard or experienced or seen before. It's not about their interpretation. No prophecy was ever made by an act of human will. But men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. Remember the Holy Spirit moving on the surface of the waters? He changes position to move on the hearts and to bring to remembrance all that Jesus did and all that Jesus said. That's so cool. That so strengthens my trust in the Holy Scriptures, my belief in the veracity of the Word of God. But you know what, I still have a question. How does that work for me? He generates remembrance. Okay, how how does that work? Very simply, listen to me. We cannot remember things we never saw, heard, or read. I don't remember experiences I've never had. That doesn't make any sense. The Holy Spirit, who took over from Rabbi Yeshua, he doesn't bring new teachings for a new generation. Hey, I got this new revelation. He brings to remembrance, Jesus says, all that I spoke to you and all that I did. He brings revelation in, by, and from the Word of God. And that's just one thing he does. That's the librarian side of what he does. He takes us through the Word, and he reveals and helps us understand. He communicates the Word of God to us, and he brings the spiritual gifts. That's another teaching for another time. But you know what real revelation is? Real revelation is, very simply put, it's realization in remembrance. In this age revelation is realization in remembrance. It's meaning in memory. But I have to have it there to remember it, which is why being in the Word of God is so vitally important, because he will bring to mind these things, because they're they're in there somewhere. I can't find the files. The files in my brain are so dusty. You ever gone down into a library, into a back room, and you open up the file cabinets, and the dust kind of goes... You know, and you start to flip through the card catalogs. Where they used to have that, they don't have it. I don't. I don't know if they have that anymore. Just computers now. But it used to be real dusty and musty smelling in, in libraries. That's that's my brain. I got files in there going back 57 years, and I do not know how to access at least 90% of them. I'm real, I think I'm functioning on 10%. Cheryl will 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 back that up. How do I remember these things? Where does it come from? This is the Holy Spirit's work to bring the file to remembrance. And he does it beautifully. And he generates that. But it's in there. I've studied it. I've read it. I, I know it's there. 1 Corinthians chapter tw- uh, 2, verse 12, Paul says, We have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God, things which also we speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual with spiritual so that that we can understand. This is not esoteric mumbo-jumbo. This is how God trains us up and teaches us by his Spirit in the word of truth, all that Jesus taught and said and did. The Spirit will bring these things to mind and to light. People ask me from time to time, where did you go to seminary? Well, first of all, I didn't go to cemetery, seminary. <laughs> and, and, and truly, I, I'm, I'm a teaching pastor. That, that's, I, I don't, that's how, if, if you ask me, what, what's my job? That's what I would say. I'm a teaching pastor. That's what, that's what I do. I am not seminary trained. Now, if you need to find another church where someone is, God bless you. Go, go and be fed. But... I'm not seminary trained, I am spirit taught, and that's the best way I can put it to you. And I'm not talking about self-righteousness, I'm just talking about the only way I understand this book is I open it up and I pray, and I ask the Lord to show me. Teach me, Lord. I learned this actually, um, what's his name, who wrote, oh, now I'm gonna forget. Uh, Doesn't matter, he used to get on his knees, I'll remember in just a minute, and I'll just blurt out his name so you'll know. He gets down on, He got down on his knees, A.W. Tozer. A.W. Tozer got down on his knees, opened up a book, and it wasn't always the Bible, by the way. He opened up the works of Shakespeare, got down on his knees before the Lord and said, Holy Spirit, teach me what this guy's saying, which I would advise you always do when you read Shakespeare. But <laughs> when you open the Bible, Holy Spirit, teach me what this book is saying. That's how I study. That's how I start my study. That's how I work through the day. And I've shared before, if you walk by my office in the middle of the day, you're gonna hear me talking out loud because I am in this conversation with the Lord asking him what this means. Well, Why that? That That's oh, oh, so what you're saying, da-da-da-da. Ah, and it's kind of weird. (laughs) I'll confess it to you. But that's how I learn. It's instruction by inspiration. It's education by revelation. And this is for all believers. This is for all of us. John even says, you don't need anyone to teach you. You have the Holy Spirit. So if it was you on a desert island with a Bible, you could know everything that we talk about here. And it could get in and affect and change you. Do you wanna tap into that remembrance? You wanna have that kind of recall? I I remember as a kid thinking, I'd love to have a recall of the Bible. People do. People would just rattle off verses. And I'd hear that and go, how do they do that? I don't want to. That just seems like an awful lot of work to get to where that guy is. <laughs> you want to remember it? Listen, we're going to talk about this more on Wednesday night, but I will at least give you a preview. I won't leave you totally hanging. But if you look at verse 22, it says, Judas, not Iscariot, which is, again, unfortunate for him. That's always. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, what then has happened that you are going to disclose yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus answered and said to him, two things. Note this, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our abode with him. This is by the Holy Spirit within. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. That's how you do it. That's how you bring to remembrance. You first you love Jesus, he says, and then literally where it says and ke- and he will keep my word. The word keep there in the Greek, it's literally keep keeping. It's a continual keeping of his word. It's not I read enough one time to get baptized saved, and then I just went on about my merry way. It's he who loves me and keeps keeping my word. My father, we're going to come and and, and we're going to be here. And guess what? He will bring remembrance. Your job, if you want to have remembrance, is to keep keeping the Word. Don't go to bed at night, open your Bible, flop it on your head, and go, okay, I'm going to get this by osmosis. (laughs) I tried it in sophomore year biology. It did not work. (laughs) I failed that test. Listen, he's not going to bring to your remembrance something that isn't there for you to remember. It's got to be there. Get it in. You want the spirit to teach you, open the book. You want the spirit to bring remembrance of it, keep the book open. Psalm 119 verse 11, your word I have treasured in my heart that I may not sin against you. And think about Timothy. He was a gifted, anointed young pastor. And yet Paul says in 2 Timothy 2.15, be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. Timothy, he starts this letter, 2 Timothy, saying kindle afresh what was the gift that was given to you by the laying on of hands. Kindle afresh the gift of the spirit in you and be diligent in the word. Because if you're not diligent in the Word, you can be anointed by the Spirit but not have a clue what you're talking about. In fact, typically, someone in that position will go off the deep end doctrinally, theologically, because they're functioning only by the gifting and not by the grounding of the Word of God. But, final thing the promise of the Holy Spirit is a promise that is both heart and mind mind and heart. He is, as we've noted, the God-strong helper. he He is gifted forever. He is the genuine truth. He is the one who generates remembrance of all the words and the deeds of Jesus. And then Jesus says, verse 27, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful peace. Promise number five, the Holy Spirit grants us peace. And this is peace of mind, and it is peace of heart. It's not peace out, homies, Jesus out. It's not even the kind of peace that, that tends to be, it can mean more than this, but it tends to be kind of surfacy. It's a greeting in Israel, all over the country today, shalom, you hear it especially on Friday afternoons and Saturday, Shabbat Shalom, Shabbat Shalom. I use, I love hearing that. It's just so cool to hear someone say Shabbat Shalom, you know, rest and peace. Not rest in peace, it's rest and peace. Shalom, Jesus says. And, and this was a greeting. It, it was a very common greeting all the way back to the first century and again still today among Jews. But it's not just the greeting Shalom. No, he's talking about Philippians four seven, the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension that guards your hearts and your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Guards my spirit, man. Guards my soul. This is a peace the world does not have a clue. But note this, verse twenty seven here. This peace is in the context and promise of the Holy Spirit. This is not a peace that you just get. This is a peace that comes by the presence of the Spirit of God in you, in me. And this is a peace that is diametrically opposite to anything the world can offer you or give me. This is the peace of the Spirit of God. This is a peace that is ours regardless of what's happening, no matter how good, bad, or ugly it is in our lives. This peace is promised by the Spirit. I need that. I need the strength, yes, and I need the peace so that I'm just not flailing in this troubled world. Isaiah 26, verse three, one of my favorite scriptures in all the Bible, which reads, the steadfast of mind you will keep in perfect peace. Shalom, shalom is the translation. The steadfast of mind you will keep in shalom, shalom. That's a double portion of peace for the steadfast of mind. But note this, the steadfast of mind doesn't keep himself or herself in that peace. It would be like me saying, okay, we're reading through this stuff and uh, we're gonna skip over verses 16 and 17 and we're gonna skip past verses 26 and 27 because you know that's Holy Spirit stuff. But do these other things. Do these things, go do them. And you can try, but you're gonna stumble, I'm gonna stumble, we're not gonna keep it all, we're gonna forget some of it, we're gonna struggle with it, or we can receive the Holy Spirit. And with him comes peace, but that's a peace that, that we don't just say, okay, okay, um, that's not the peace we're talking about. That is so empty. Peace, okay. Uh, I'm I'm gonna meditate. I'm gonna meditate here. Oh, yeah, this is good. Now I'm getting some peace. Now the anxiety is going down. That's not what we're talking about. Peace of mind, peace of heart. Listen to the whole verse. The steadfast of mind, you will keep in perfect peace because he trusts in you. This is a work of the Spirit. This is a divine, powerful work of the Holy Spirit. If you have any peace, in your life as a follower of Jesus, it's because the Spirit is giving it to you. And I'm gonna stop here for now, but you gotta get this final thing. You've got to get this. If there's no peace in it, it is not of the Holy Spirit. If there's no peace in it, it's not of the Holy Spirit. What do you mean it? I mean like a decision or a direction or a stand that you want to take or a conviction that you think is significant, if there's no peace in it, the Holy Spirit is not in it. If it creates striving, if it creates division, if it has you anxious or worried or stressed out, if you're fearful, that's not the Holy Spirit. God doesn't do that. He doesn't function that way. He gives peace. He says, says, Cheryl, I want you to go do this. And Cheryl's like, you know what, Rick? I think the Lord's asking us to do this, but I'm scared to death. I just don't know. I, I'm really, really stressed about out about it. I'd say, you know, we got to pray, because that's not the Lord. That's not the Lord. If He's calling you to do something, don't do it in, until peace comes, because if peace doesn't come, the Holy Spirit is not in it. And again, this peace that we're talking about is not a state of mind. It's not a contemplative dialing down. It's not a meditative religious state. It is a gift that comes only by the presence of the paracleton within my heart and my mind. And his presence is calm even in the storms. Go back to Genesis chapter one, verse two. The earth was formless and void. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. Now listen, sailors have a phrase. It's a very cool phrase. It's a descriptive phrase that they use. That, that, that means this, no matter how wild the waves, no matter how much the sea may be raging and the storms blowing and the lightning flashing and the thunder crackling, no matter what's going on on the surface of the sea, there is a depth that you get to that is completely calm. Animals down there swimming around with no concept of the storms up above. And that, that depth, sailors call this the cushion of the sea. I like that. Remember where Jesus was when they were um, on the sea and the storms were raging? Remember he was asleep on a cushion? The cushion of the sea is where there's peace in spite of the storm. That's what the Holy Spirit does. That is the promise, the fifth of these promises that is offered in him. He grants peace because he himself, get this, get this, he himself moves not over the surface of the waters, not anymore, now he moves in the deep. Now he moves in our hearts and our minds. He is within, within the believer who receives the gift. Harriet Beecher Stowe wrote this as a hymn. She wrote, when winds are raging o'er the upper ocean and billows wild contend with angry roar, tis said far down beneath the wild commotion that peaceful stillness reigneth evermore. Far, far beneath, the noise of tempest dieth, and silver waves chime ever peacefully, and no rude storm, how fierce soe'er it flieth, disturbs the Sabbath of that deeper sea. So, to the heart that knows thy love, O purest, there is a temple sacred evermore, and all the babble of life's angry voices dies in hushed silence at its peaceful door, far, far away. The roar of passion dieth, and loving thoughts rise calm and peacefully, and no rude storm, how fierce soe'er it flieth, disturbs the soul that dwells, O Lord, in Thee. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. Jesus, thank you for your spirit thank you for this great gift thank you Lord Jesus for all that we've talked about that comes because of of your presence, your spirit in our lives and I do ask Lord Jesus as we go forward and think through these things Lord willing the next few weeks together I pray Lord that you wouldn't just give us knowledge and information in fact I pray more even than revelation, Holy Spirit come and dwell among us I pray for anyone in our fellowship who hears these teachings and has not been born again that they would make the choice and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit and be baptized and follow after you. Father, you have said it clearly. We don't have to walk on our own, we don't have to struggle or bear crawl our way through this life. No, Lord. The steadfast of mind you keep in shalom, shalom, because he, because she trusts in you. Help us to trust in you, O oh Spirit of truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Mm-hmm.